This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, tonight we have a very special topic, which is repairing our relationships before Rosh Hashanah. Repairing our relationships before Rosh Hashanah. We know that the Ten Commandments were given on two tablets. Why were they given on two tablets? The rabbis explain that the first tablet is relationship between man and God. And the second tablet is relationships between man and man. So the question is obvious. Why were they given on two tablets and not on one tablet? Why were they given on two tablets and not on one tablet? Because if they were given it in one tablet, then you would say the first commandment is the most important. And the first commandment is, I am the Lord your God, to believe in God. Okay, that's the first commandment on the first tablet. And the first commandment on the second tablet is do not murder. Do not murder. So it's interesting how if the Torah would have just given it one tablet, the first command would have been, I am the Lord your God. But since it doesn't want to equate, it doesn't want to say this is number one and this is going to be number six. He gave two tablets, and they're both number one. They're both number one. The mitzvah of belief in God and the mitzvah of not murdering are both number one. So it's very fascinating how the Torah is equating, by giving two, two separate tablets, equating laws between man and God and equating laws between man and man. The, the, the fact that the Hashem gave two tablets for the Ten Commandments of the Decalogue, well, it's not really Ten Commandments, it's 14 commandments, but... We know that one tablet is laws between man and man. One tablet is one laws between man and God. And they're equal. They're both equally important. And that's why they were given on two tablets, not one tablet. Because if it's on one tablet, you think the laws between man and God are first. And therefore, they're more important. They're not more important. They're as important. Hashem is teaching us a very important lesson. That a person that cannot be successful in their relationships between human beings they cannot be successful in the relationship between man and God. And if they're not successful in relationship between Hashem and us, then we can't be successful in relationships between us and people. So it's very important. We have to really realize, we have to wake up and realize that these are the critical uh, factors in our lives, relationships. Relationships are the critical factor in our lives. Our relationship with Hashem, which is something which is, should be 24-7. Unfortunately, it is not because we are sidetracked. Many times we are sidetracked, but the relationship should be 24-7. Sefer HaChinuch says there are six constant commandments, six mitzvot, which a person can do 24-7, even when they are sleeping. Don't ask me how you do it. I'm sleeping. And the answer is because it's got to be in the back of one's subconscious. A person's got to think, Hashem is there 24-7. I believe in Hashem 24-7. I know Hashem is there 24-7. There's no other God. There's one God. To love God, to fear God, we are going to talk about building a relationship with God is 24-7. It's a mitzvot that apply 24-7. And a person can't build a relationship with Hashem. They cannot build successful relationships with human beings. It's very, very important. Critical. Both ways. It works both ways. If I cannot be faithful to my physical wife, how can I be faithful to an un- invisible God? If I cannot be faithful to invisible God, I don't know what faithfulness is. So it works on both levels. It's a very important. These, these are relationships. I'm going to learn how to understand, how to be successful in all kinds of different relationships. And that's probably the hardest part of being a human being is learning how to um, have relationships with others. It's one of the hardest parts, I think, of being a human being is marriage, children, parents, you know, balancing uh, neighbors, friends, enemies. To balance relationships is one of the most critical things. And this is something which is not talked about enough. The Ramam brings this down in the laws of Yom Kippur. And the Ramam says that you cannot do Teshuvah between man and man without first asking human beings for forgiveness. Anyone I have troubled during the year should ask forgiveness. So we can repair our relationship between man and God much easier than our relationship between man and man. Man, unfortunately, human beings have a habit of sometimes not forgiving. 
not forgiving and forgetting enough, right? So, Hashem, okay, Hashem says, you know, I'll forgive and forget. I'm going to talk about that as well, because I should never say Hashem. It's very easy to forgive and forget, and if I can do a sin, then Hashem will forgive me. That's uh, that's a no-no. But generally speaking, it's much easier to get forgiveness from Hashem than get forgiveness from man, human beings. And so I want to talk about these two areas of our lives, relationships, because that is really what what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is all about, is healing relationships. It's not talked about enough in that perspective. To heal our relationship between us and our Creator, it's interesting because we can refer to our relationship with God in many different ways. I just want to give you some ideas of how we refer to our relationships with Hashem. So obviously, the creator of the world. How can I relate to God as the creator of the world? It's very hard. Today we see the pictures coming out from these massive telescopes in space of the universe and the beautiful pictures and there's you know they're, they're really in color and they're really amazing and get insight of the vastness of space the vastness of the universe we get insight of our greatness of Hashem. so the greatness of Hashem, how can i relate to the great creator and the answer is it's impossible really to have a relationship with the creator unless you personalize the experience and say he didn't just create space in the universe he even created me I am one of his creations. I can relate to God because he is my creator. I can relate to my parents because they are my creators. But it's interesting because the fifth commandment is honor your father and your mother so that your days will be long, the land I will give you. And what is the fifth commandment doing on this first tablet, which is man and man and God? And the answer is with it, if we cannot respect our physical parents, we cannot honor our physical parents, we cannot honor our spiritual parents. Very simple. The, the paths to God are through relationships with human beings. What does that mean? If I don't know how to have a relationship with a human being, how can I have a relationship with, a, with an invisible creator? It's an amazing, amazing concept. How can I have an, an invisible relationship, an invisible being if I can't have a physical relationship or a, a relationship with a physical being that I can see and I can touch it and I can feel their emotions and I can talk to them personally face to face and when I can't talk to I can't see God face to face Hashem has no face and no features and we have no idea what yeah, it doesn't look like anything he doesn't have a form Ramam says he has no shape and no forms so how can I have a relationship with something I cannot see and cannot feel and cannot touch and cannot talk to verbally and hear um, unless I use my imagination. And how can I have a relationship with someone I can't see when I can't even have a relationship with someone I can't see? <laughs> so on the one hand, it's much easier because Hashem doesn't really bug me too much, you know. Okay, he bugs me through the mitzvot, but he doesn't really talk to me and nudge me uh, unless a person really can imagine the mitzvot reverberating their heads, then Hashem talks to us. Hashem talks to us through the mitzvot. But how do we refer to God? So number one, we refer to God as Bore Olam, the creator of the world, the creator of the world. But we have to lower that to our own personal relationship with God. He's not just the creator of the world. He's my creator. He's a personal creator. He's my personal creator. He formed me, made me, he gave me my nakama. And where do we see this? We say this every day. God, the neshama you gave me. It's very important to know that and to think about that when we say this prayer. Hashem, you are my creator. Hashem, you're the one who created me. You're my personal bore olam. You are my personal creator. You created me. I owe you so much. Uh, you gave me hands. You gave me legs. You gave me the ability to think. And whatever goes on in my life, you're the one who I have to thank. You're the one I, have to, I owe everything I have to you, Hashem. So that's a creator. That's, that's one way of relating to Hashem. The second way is the famous way, which, you know, that's, that's really what Rosh Hashanah is all about. Rosh Hashanah is the creator. Rosh Hashanah is related to God as the creator, but also to relate to God as Melech HaOlam. Melech HaOlam, which means Hashem is not just the creator, he is king of the world. He is the Melech. He is the king of the world. He is not just my creator. He is my king. Hashem is the king, my king. So it's not just he created me and he walked away. He is directly involved 
in my life. He wants me to be a loyal subject to him. He is my king. In fact, the prayers of the 10 days of repentance, we refer to Hashem HaMelech HaKadosh, the king, the holy king, not the God who is holy, but the king who is holy, HaMelech HaMishpat, the king of justice. So Hashem is the king through the 10 days of repentance. We have to relate to God. It's very hard because today we've lost this idea of how to relate to king. Uh, we have no real kings and queens who, you know, there's a, such a, res- a respect. We have no idea today how to respect. You know, you see how kids behave with their parents and how parents behave with their kids. And you see that this idea, this idea of respect is lost. How, uh, how siblings relate to each other. This idea of respect is lost in society. We've lost this idea of respect. So therefore, we think of God as the king, but we really don't know what that means. We don't know what kind of respect. In those days, people would be scared for their lives. When they saw the king, they would tremble. It's a king relationship. It's a, it's a scary kind of relationship. So on the one hand, Hashem is our creator. Hashem is the king. And we are his subjects. But we say other things as well. It's interesting. In the prayers of Rosh Hashanah, it says, We repeat this phrase every time after we blow the shofar. Today, the world was created, which the rabbis explained it. The world was not created in Rosh Hashanah. The world, Adam was created in Rosh Hashanah. When we say the world was created in Rosh Hashanah, we're talking about human beings. Humanity, our world, our human world was created in Rosh Hashanah with the creation of man. Mankind was created in Rosh Hashanah. So Ayom Harat Olam is talking about the creation, the birth of Adam. Uh, he was born like no other human being. He, wasn't, <laughs> he was not really born, he was created. So Ayom Harat Olam, the world was created on Rosh Hashanah, which means human beings. Adam and Chava were created in Rosh Hashanah. So it says, and then we say, how do we relate to you, Hashem? Im kebanim, im we relate to you either as kids, as children, or like slaves. Hashem. Either we're your children or we are your slaves. What does that mean? In Kebanim, there's a love relationship. Treat me like a child. Treat me like a father. A loving father treats his child. That's another way of relating to God. That's, that's the way most of us, I think, relate to God. Hashem, you are my loving parent. Hashem, I thank you for everything you gave me. Hashem, please look after me. Even though I fail, just treat me like an errant child and, and uh, Teach me how to go in your path, Hashem. So that is a very beautiful way of relating to God is as a child to his parent, to his loving parent. So our, our relationship with God, that's what we say in our prayers. Treat us either as children, as a loving parent, or or treat us as your servants, just like a good master looks after the wealth of his servants. A good master is going to know if you invest in your servants, they're going to serve you better. I have right now. I have, uh, <laughs> I have people working in my house. They're doing some kind of renovations. So if you treat them nicely, you give them tea and coffee. It was they're very demanding, by the way. So then, hopefully, they'll do a good job. But if you don't treat them nicely, then I don't think they're going to do a good job. They're going to cut corners. So it's it's very important. So Hashem, either you treat me as a child, a loving uh, parent treats his child, or treat me like a master. A good master treats his servant. Our eyes are to you, Hashem. We are looking for you to look after us like a good man that looks after his, his servant. Either you look after me like a parent, a good parent, or like a good master. It's, we lost that kind of relationship today, the master. Well, if you're a boss of a company and you have uh, people working underneath you, you'll know what it's like to be a good master. Because if you're not a good boss, they're not going to look up to you. And they're not going to do the work properly. So it's very important to be a good boss. So Hashem, either you treat us as a good, kind parent, which is interesting. That's, that's the relationship we normally think about. Or Hashem, you treat us like a good boss treats us. So we have different kinds of relationship. We have the relationship of Borei Olam, the creator of the world. We have the relationship of a king. We have the relationship of a parent, a good parent, a loving parent to the children. We have a relationship of the master to the servants. And then we have Pesach, which is the interferer. God, the great interferer. The God who has the power to interfere in our life. This is something we have to remember every single day, because the mitzvah of remembering coming out of Egypt is every single day. It's the third paragraph of the Shema. And many other places, is in Shabbat, we talk about Kiddush. 
Everything is a remembrance of coming out of Egypt. What does that mean? That Hashem can take us out of our Egypt. Now, it's interesting. The word in Hebrew for Egypt is Mitzrayim. But a very similar word in Hebrew is Mitzarim. Mitzarim are our boundaries, our prison cell. A person who has troubles is surrounded by troubles and problems and enemies, basically in a prison. Min David Amelach says in the Psalms and Hallel, we say in the Hallel, I called out to you, Hashem, from my Beitzah, from my prison. So Mitzrayim is a symbol of prison. Sometimes a person thinks they're in a jail where we're caught up in events. We can't escape. Hashem is the only resource. Hashem, our relationship to Hashem is the relationship of a person and their savior. Literally a savior, which means that Hashem has the power to interfere in our lives and to help us in our lives. Every single problem in our lives, Hashem has the ability to help. So that's why coming out of Egypt is so important. Uh, the, the Midrash says no other slaves in history ever escaped from Egypt till the Jews escaped from Egypt. It was impossible for slaves to escape from Egypt. They had some kind of magic spells, some kind of way of stopping slaves escaping from Egypt. The only ones who ever escaped from Egypt were the Jews. So Hashem has the power to take us out of Egypt. He has the power to take us out from all our problems in life, all our personal uh, prisons, all our straitjackets. And that's something which we have to cry out to Hashem. Hashem. So that's another kind of relationship. It's the relationship of a person, say, to emergency services. A person's drowning in the river. A, life, a lifeguard, a coast guard, a police, firemen. Hashem has the ability to save. And that's a, another relationship which we have with Hashem. And that's a, a relationship that a lot of people, you know, they're, uh, when, Hashem, when they're in trouble, they call out to Hashem. There are no atheists in foxholes. There are no atheists. <laughs> John King once said, he said, they, they told him, they asked him, he was a, he was a prisoner uh, in Vietnam. And they asked him, what do you do as a prisoner in Vietnam? He said, I did a whole lot of praying. Because... <laughs> And for, sure enough, they let him go. I mean, it's amazing. So these people did survive. He did a lot of praying. Sharansky in uh, Egypt, right? He did, in, uh, I call it Egypt. The communist Russia, Sharansky. He was in solitary confinement. It says he was, uh, he had a book with him, Tanakh, the book of Tanakh, Tehilim, he had with him. So it saved him. And he was playing chess with himself in his head. Hard to imagine, just to stay sane. So when he had God with him, and that's, that's critical. A person has to cry out to Hashem. That's another kind of relationship with God. So God is the interferer. God is the classical interferer. He can take Jews out of Egypt, which is impossible. And he can take us out of all our problems. The Savior, Hashem is the Savior. He can take us out of all our problems. He can get us out of our troubles. So we mustn't forget that. We, mustn't, we must never forget uh, Rachamim. Harachaman, we say in the Birkat Amazon, a whole list of Harachamans. Harachaman, the merciful one. Hashem, you are the merciful one. He is more merciful than anything else. We're, you know, we don't talk enough about this aspect of God. The aspect of loving uh, parents, the aspect of mercy, what we do. We say it many times over, especially in our prayers in Yom Kippur, the 13 attributes of God. Kel, Rachum, Vechanun. They are. Kel is powerful. Rachum, merciful. Hanun, gracious, which means Hashem gives. Hashem gives for no reason. Hashem gives gratuitously. This is something that Moshe Rabbeinu tried to work on that trait when he prays in last week's parashah. Vayit Hanan el Hashem. I prayed to Hashem. I prayed for a gratuitous gift. Letting me go to Israel, even if I didn't deserve it. Hashem, give it to me, even if I don't deserve it. These are the attributes of God. These are the kind of relationships we have to have with God. Latch on to one of these traits. Rahum, merciful. Hashem, I believe you're merciful. I'm latching on to your mercy. I'm latching on to your gratuitous graciousness, Hashem. Erech you're slow to anger. Please, Hashem, don't get angry with me. Store up your anger. Don't get angry with me. Lose that anger. All these are different ways of latching onto God, building relationships with God. But, you know, what's interesting is there's a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah in the Torah. I say it's probably the hardest mitzvah in the Torah. 
well, I can't say that really. There's a lot of hard mitzvot in the Torah. <laughs> one of the hardest mitzvot in the Torah, let's just say, one of the hardest mitzvot in the Torah is the mitzvah to love Hashem. Mitzvah to love Hashem. Amazing. How can Hashem command us to do something which he doesn't even command us to do with our own parents? Right? How can Hashem command us to love him? He doesn't even command us to love our own parents. Interesting. Who does Hashem command us to love? So let's just go through the different levels of love in the Torah in terms of the chronological order. It says, it doesn't mention the word love by Adam and Chava. It does not mention love by Huh? The first time it mentions love, it says, Hashem tells Abraham. It says, Abraham, Kachna et bincha yechidecha asher ahavta. Take your son, your only son, the one you love. And the Midrash says, Hashem said, Abraham, take your son. And Abraham says, I have two sons. And Hashem says, take your only son. He said, Abraham says, they're both my only sons. And he's then he's, Hashem says, the one you love. And Abraham says, I love them both. And then Hashem says, Yitzhak, take Yitzhak. It's interesting. Hashem is breaking the news to Abraham. You don't want to break bad news very fast because we'll get a shock. Hashem is preparing Abraham by giving him instructions which are not clear. Take your son. I have two sons. The, uh, the, 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 you know, the only son. He said, they're both only sons. The one you love. First time love is mentioned in the Torah. The first time love is mentioned in the Torah is to teach us that only when a person has a child will they know what real love is. I'm, it's a very important point. I'm just going to repeat it. Only when a person has a child will they know what real love is because, and that love has to be replicated. When we have children, it's very hard to imagine what love is till you have a real child because love is not taking, love is giving. That is what real love is. Love is commitment. You don't switch your children, hopefully. Love is giving. It's the relationship of a good parent to the child, especially when the child is growing up. And uh, it's pure giving. Love is pure giving. The word have, ahava, have means to give. Ahava, gematria 13, is the same gematria as the word echad, which is one. Ahava, true love leads to unity. True love leads to commitment. True love leads to giving and giving with no strings attached. That's true love. God says, the one you love, Yitzhak, I know which one you Abraham says, I love you both. I love them both. Amazing. He loves Ishmael. He loves Yitzhak. He loves. Abraham was the lover of humanity. And we have to. That Abraham is really our role model. Why? Because Abraham excelled in both relationships. Abraham Avinu was the first person in the whole Humash, I think. I think. As far as I, I can understand and see. That excelled in both areas of life. In the dimension between man and man, fellow man, humanity, and the direction of Hashem. And that's something which we have to emulate. He's our role model. Abraham, Abed, we are the children, B'nai Abraham, Yitzhavi, Yaakov, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We have to emulate our role model as Abraham, Abinu. We are not called the children of Noah. We are called the children of Abraham. He excelled in both areas of life between man and God and man and man. And that's something which we have to excel in. We have to follow this pathway. And that's what I'm talking about tonight is relationships, how to excel in these relationships with man and God and man and man. So we find love in this case. The first time love is mentioned in the Torah is the love of a child, which is interesting because, you know, we always think of romantic love and love between man and woman, hopefully, which uh, today is also not to be taken for granted. And uh, love of a child comes first. And then, only then, it talks about how Yitzhak took his wife Rivka into his mother's tent and he loved her. Amazing, amazing love of a child comes first. And then love of a spouse. Now, it doesn't mean that if a person doesn't have children, they don't know what love is. But what it's telling us is love is what 
what the real true love is when a parent loves a child and then you know what that kind of love is you can apply that to other situations so a person's going to think if i don't have a child what do i do i'm going to think what is it like to have a child and be giving 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 for the first i don't know 16 20 years of the kid's life giving 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 non-stop gratuitous giving without expecting anything in return because if you expect something in return you're going to be really disappointed so, so that is love. Then you know what love is. Now I can apply that to my spousal relationship. And that is giving, 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 giving. So why do marriages break down? One of the reasons is I give so much and I get so little back. But you know what? If true love is giving with no strings attached, that's not a good excuse. So true love is giving with no strings attached. Both parties, obviously, it's obligatory on both sides to love each other. Because that's the third kind of love in the Torah. You will love your friend. Now, who is a person's best friend? We say under the chuppah, beloved friends. And we, it's interesting. We use this two words, which is in the mitzvah. Beloved friends. Beloved friends. We're talking about the spouse. They just got married. Husband and wife. Newlyweds. Beloved friends, after love your friend as yourself. So first, I got to understand what it means to be a parent and love the child. Then I got to understand how to love a spouse, and then I can start working on loving other people, loving your fellow Jew, loving your fellow man. After it's such a hard mitzvah. And we talked about, I'm not going to talk about it, you can look it up in the classes on the Torah anytime, you can look it up and you can listen to it again. Um, but it's one of the pathways to relationships is loving others. And there's many different ways of doing that, showing concern, empathy, smiling, uh, listening, uh, all different ways of loving someone that are sometimes we don't really know, they're very easy to do. Smiling at someone, saying hello to someone is one of the ways very easy to do. So we have to reach kamocha, and then it says, then it says, we have to Only after you know what it means to love my child, my spouse, my fellow man, then I can start thinking about loving God. Interesting. Then I can start thinking about how to love Hashem. But this is something which is not talked about enough. There is a mitzvah to build a personal relationship with God, which is translated as love of God. How do you love God? And that's it. So Rambam says, <laughs> this is a very high level, obviously. Rambam, it says, it's like, look at, look, look at this example he gives. This should wake everyone up. I'm putting you to sleep, this should wake you up. The example he gives, a very mundane example. He said, it's like a man who is in love with a woman and he can't get her out of his mind. A man, a person should be literally in love with God to the point where I can't, I'm love, what's called, I'm lovesick. I'm lovesick for Hashem. How can a person reach that level? But apparently that's the level of Shlomo HaMelech. King Solomon wrote, Song of Songs, which the rabbis, Rabbi Kiva, said, this is the love song between man and God. To get to the point where a person says, I love God. Now, how does it, now, now, let's talk a bit about that because we're talking about building our relationships with God before Rosh Hashanah, before Yom Kippur. We have to talk about how do you... So we know that Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is all about change. So how does a person change? So there's shortcuts. There's focusing self-esteem, self-worth, self-compassion, self-forgiveness, self-image self-acceptance and so on they can produce positive results but they cannot bring a person to their full potential cannot bring a person to their full potential so what is the draw what is the motivation to bring up the full potential and the answer is to cling to god to cling to god to love god which is you know really really hard to love god is so hard to do so how let's, we have to talk about that. So why not? Why is it so hard to love God? We say the Shema, the second line of the Shema. After Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokein Hashem Echad, Ve'ahavta Hashem Elokecha, Bechol Levavcha. It's so hard. Look what it tells us. 
love God with all your heart. How do you love God with all your heart? So I might say, with your good inclination, your bad inclination. You have to love God with both, whether you want to do good, whether you want to do bad. Use your inclinations, your desires, and your wants to serve Hashem, to love God. Even if they take away your life, even at the point where a person is at risk of life, love God, which means a person puts a gun to the head and they say, you know, worship the idol. The guy says, sorry, I love God. I'll give my soul for God. And many Jews did that over the ages, in crusades and other times, they gave their life for God. Rabbi Kiva, when Yom Kippur was killed and he was saying Shema. And they asked the students, said, what? What are you doing, Rabbi? How can you say Shema? They're killing you. They're torturing you. He said, all my life, I pray to fulfill this verse. I love God with my soul. Even if they take away your soul. Now, some people love their money more than anything else. And so the Pasuk says, even though I said already, love me with your soul. Maybe you love your money more than your soul. Some people love their money more than their lives. They're willing to risk their life for their money. It's a very interesting halakha I once saw. I can't remember who says this. Tremendously amazing halakha. Amazing halakha. To what extent should a person risk their life to save someone else? So, for example, someone fell overboard. Now, I'm not a very good swimmer. Do I have to jump in after that person to save them? So look at this amazing, amazing. I would say no. You know why? Because you've got nefesh for yourself. Before you save someone else's life, you've got to save your own life. Your life comes first. You have to love other people as you love yourself, not more than yourself. You put yourself first. Rabbi Kiva said that. Rabbi Kiva says if two people are lost in the desert, there's only one flask of water. You get to keep it. If there's not enough water to go around to keep them both alive, the person who has the water keeps it. That's what I've done. Love your friend as yourself, not more than yourself. So do I have to jump in to save this guy or not? And the answer, look at this, amazing. I can't remember which posse. It was a posse, a great rabbi who gave this psak as halakha. He says, if you know that your money is drowning in that river, would you jump in to save your money? And the answer is, if yes, you have to jump in and save this guy as well. If you're willing to risk your life for your money, you have to risk your life to save someone else whose value is much more than your money. Amazing. If you know I dropped my jewel in the river and I would jump in to save that jewel at all costs. Some people jump in for their wallets, you know, but uh, wallets today are replaceable. Credit cards are replaceable, but still. Uh, so would you jump in for a million dollars? And you have to jump in and save that. Okay, interesting. So why not love God? Why not love God? And the answer, there's a lot of different reasons. Number one, person may have previous traumas. A lot of people say, the Holocaust, how can I love God? Look what he did to us. And the answer is, Hashem did not do anything to us. It was man who did cruel things to us. So the question is, why did Hashem interfere? That's another question. Because we're, talking about, we're talking about a time period where Hashem's face is hidden in history. We're just seeing, we're revealing parts of Hashem's face now, thank God, after the Holocaust, the state of Israel, the miracles we see on a daily basis. So a person can have personal traumas, a person can have experiences that, Make a person feel they can't trust Hashem. Hashem is scary. Uh, so all these are reasons for people they give. You know, I can't love. How can I love Hashem? Or because Christianity talks so much about love, we say, that oh, it's not Jewish. But the truth is, where they get everything from? They got it all from Judaism. So we, there's a mitzvah. God loves us. We have to realize. God loves us more than anyone loves us. God is the only true friend we have. More than anyone else in the world, Hashem loves us and we have to reciprocate. So if we can understand how much Hashem loves us, then we can love him. It's like if you really love your child and you say to your child, I love you, I love you. Why won't that child love you back? I don't know, unless something twisted about the child. Sometimes children are twisted in their minds. I don't know. So, so a person may never have experienced love or have only experienced exploitation and abuse. Or because a uh, person cannot relate to loving God at all. How can I love this being? I have no idea who this being is. So it's something that people don't talk about today. It really is something which even a lot of rabbis don't talk about today. So how does a person develop? So number one is, does a person really need to love God? And the answer is yes. 
A person needs to love God. How do we know? It's a mitzvah in the Torah. One of the 630 commandments, as I said, it's the second verse in the Shema. You really need to love Hashem. We say this every single day, a few times a day, every time you say Shema. You should love the Lord your God. And it's one of the 24-7 mitzvot. Yes, we have to love God. The Torah tells us to cling to God. Last week's parasha, Hashem says, to cling to Hashem. How do you cling to Hashem? So cling to people who are close to Hashem. We're halachically obligated to consciously and actively try to love Hashem, even if we can't do it. We have to try our best to come to some kind of love to Hashem. And the answer is it's not all or nothing. Loving Hashem is not all or nothing. There's different degrees of love, just like there's different degrees of love between people. That's why it's, it's another relationship we have to cultivate, just like we have to practice our love on our children, our love of our spouse, our love on other people. The person's got to practice loving. That is, the point is, let's try before Rosh Hashanah to practice loving. It's so hard. Practice loving, looking at people with love, looking at one's spouse with love, looking at one's children with love, looking at one's parents with love. Practicing loving others, even though I'm getting nothing out of it. That's so hard. So hard to do. I'm getting nothing out of this. This person does not help me in my life, does not give me anything in my life. Just loving others. You know, I, I, I saw this. This story brought me to tears. This really, this story brought me to tears. It was a Friday night. I'm reading this article at this Friday night table. Very embarrassing. <laughs> it was very, very embarrassing. And I was reading this article. It was by Rabbi Salavechik. And he says he went, he came to visit Israel. He only came once to visit Israel. And he goes and he happens to visit one of the, he thought, one of the most secular socialist kibbutzim. In those days, you know, kibbutzim were really socialist. A lot of them were atheists. He goes there and they say, oh, they, you know, they're very hospitable. Rabbi, come and eat. He says, uh, I don't think I can eat this food. He said, oh, Rabbi, it's 100% kosher. So what? Yes, we have a rabbi coming in every day to inspect the kashut in this socialist kibbutz. Said, How did that happen? <laughs> this sounds very strange. He says, yes, he says, he said, 10 years ago, Rav Abraham Yitzhak Cook, who was the first chief rabbi of Israel, Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel. He spent a Shabbat in our kibbutz and he didn't say anything. He brought his own food and Friday night he made his own kiddush. We just continued as normal and there's no kiddush. Everyone's eating, what are they eating? Pork and who knows why. He didn't say a word. He brought his own food, put it on the table, on his plastic or whatever it was, his, uh, his little napkin and he made kiddush for himself and he ate his food, he said, and he didn't say anything. He didn't give us any lectures. He didn't say anything derogatory. And the next day it repeated itself. We're all breaking Shabbat and doing this and doing that. He didn't say a word. He made his Kiddush. He prayed three times a day. And then he left. He made, he made Hatalani he left. And the next day we said, we're going to keep kosher. Next day, we said we felt his love. We felt the fact he wasn't telling us off or rebuking us. He actually told the stories about his father, this and that. He never said anything negative. He says the kibbutz decided from that day on they're going to keep kosher. Now, they, they probably didn't keep Shabbat, but they built a shul. I don't even know if they went to the shul. <laughs> but at least they kept kosher because they felt his love. Love has this impact. Let's try over the next 30 days or so to practice love, practice loving others and to get to this point where we can control the love to the extent we can even love Hashem. We can even get to the point where we can love something we don't know. But we know that Hashem exists. There's no, I don't think we have anyone over here has a question that Hashem exists. The question is now how to love Hashem. So let's practice on others. That's the, that is what the Torah is demanding. Practice on others. Practice on your children. Practice on your spouse. Practice on your relatives. Practice on your parents, practice on whoever is around you after, all your friends around you, and then try and get to this level where you say, you know, Hashem, I want to, I want to practice loving you as well. And when a person does that, they're going to reap tremendous happy rewards. This is something you're going to try. The mere act of trying to form a loving relationship with Hashem, however awkwardly or inconsistently, automatically, Hashem reciprocates. 
because there's a thing called midah connected midah. Ve'avta Hashem elokecha bechol levavcha bechol nafshecha bechol meodecha meodecha. Gemara says, and we said it's translated normally as God your wealth. The Gemara says in Brachot another explanation says, whatever he treats, the way he treats you, accept it with love. But however way he treats you, except in love, we learn this concept of midah connected midah. If you treat God with love, God treats you with love. If you treat God with respect, Hashem will treat you with respect. So automatically it's going to make a person a better person. And depending on where a person's starting point is, you may not become a better person immediately, but you will definitely become happier and better than you are. Why? Because I'm making friends with the creator. I'm making friends with the most powerful being there is. I'm loving the creator who, who is my best friend. I'm making God my best friend. Now, if God is your best friend, you'll never go wrong. If Hashem is your best friend, you'll never go wrong. So it's very important. It's a very powerful idea. So uh, just like the person says, you know, I'm going to keep Shabbat. So is it possible to keep Shabbat 100% perfectly? Maybe. Maybe, maybe it's possible. Maybe it's possible. Every, not to make a single mistake, a single error on Shabbat. So if a person does keep Shabbat like that, keep this mitzvah as well. Love Hashem. It may not be possible to do it perfectly, but everyone's going to start. Let's all start. So let's all start to, to try our best to, to keep this mitzvah of loving Hashem. So is this a realistic goal? So it's interesting. It's a book. Chovat Halevavot. The Duties of the Heart. This is a book written by, it's actually one of the first books of Musar, written by a rabbi called Bachya Ibn Pakuda, who was a rabbi in Spain during the Golden Age, which was under the Muslims. People don't realize that the Golden Age of Spain was before the Christians conquered Spain. It was under the Muslims. And uh, the Golden Age, Bachia Ibn Pakuda, as you can see by his name, he had an Arab-sounding name, Ibn, which means the son of Pakuda. Bachia, the son of Pakuda, he wrote a book called Chovot Halevavot, The Duties of the Heart. You can get this today. It's in English. It's in Hebrew. It's an amazing book. Which He's the first one who talks about not just the obligation of what to do physically, but also obligations inside one's head, which he calls the duties of one's heart. And one of them is to love God. Over there it says, in chapter 4, he has many chapters on the gate of love of God. It's amazing. He has a whole series of chapters on, the, on loving Hashem. He lists three types of love. And then says, the only the third one is not possible for most people. So let's go through these three types of love. There are three types of love. Number one, love for which it is easy to give up one's money. Anyone has put their child through yeshiva, Knows what kind of sacrifice that is. I'm telling you, these yeshiva bills are, you know, amazing, tremendous, tremendous burden to a lot of people. So it's love, which you're ready to give up your money for this kind of love. You know, it's like when I got married, right? You got to sign that ketubah. Now, a man's got to sign the ketubah. It's worth a lot of money, and he's putting his, his all his earnings on the line. I don't know for how many years. But listen, if you're in love and you want to marry that woman, you're going to do it. So you just don't think. You just sign that document and that's it. Go, go for it. So it's love, which is easy to give up one's money. Number two, love, which is easy to give up even one's part of one's body and one's money. Let's think about a person who's donating an organ. Amazing, like a kidney. Oh, gosh. That kind of person is a very special, spectacular person. That is a spectacular human being. That is an amazing human being. Because of love. Now, now it's interesting because usually they don't even know who they're giving it to. And that's even more spectacular. So it's basically a very broad mitzvah. Amazing mitzvah. So that is a love which is possible as well. We see it because there are people who donate organs, people they don't even know. And uh, pieces of the liver, pieces of the, the kidney, they give the kidney. And uh, the third level of love, he says, which is easy to give up one's money, one's body, and one's soul, one's life. So he says, Rabbachia Ibn Pakuda says, Abraham Avinu achieved all these levels. He was willing to give everything for God, even his own child, which is harder sometimes than oneself. Even one's child, even one's money, everything he had, his, 
the, the commentary say his whole reputation would be in rags. He's the one probably he's the one predicting and, 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 and cajoling us to love God and God does not want sacrifice and human sacrifice. And here he is, he's got to sacrifice his own child. What kind of, he's a talker, this guy. He's not, he's not a real religious person. He talks the talk, but he doesn't want to talk. He's going to lose his reputation. He's going to lose everything. Everything he did in his life is going to lose. And he was willing to give it up. So Bachi and Pakuda says, Abraham Avinu achieved all these levels. But realistically speaking, most of us can only hope to do the first two. So let's give up one's money. Yeah, every time he gives Sadaqa, every time a Jew gives Sadaqa, you know, sometimes he gives Sadaqa, I'm sitting in the shul, you know, it's a big shul. A lot of people walk in every single day without fail. There's at least three people, four people walking through the shul collecting money. And I say to myself, what do I have in connection with this person? Why do you have to give this person? And the answer is, number one is, I'm giving them because Hashem created them in his image. We're all created in God's image. Number two is, I'm giving it not because I want to give him personally, but because Hashem said to give. I'm following God's command. I'm sacrificing my money because I love God. That's a very important. So we all do this. Every time we give Sraka, we're sacrificing our money. If you belong to Shul, you pay Shul dues. Why do that? And the answer is, I'm sacrificing my money for love of God. That's amazing. Amazing. Every time, I should try and build on this love because we're sacrificing so much, we just don't realize why we're doing it. We have to, we have to think, I'm sacrificing all my uh, whatever energies and this. I'm doing a mitzvah. Who am I doing it for? I'm doing it for Hashem. Why am I doing it for Hashem? I love Hashem. Oh, that's, that's an extremely high level. That is a very important level in service of Hashem that we should try and work on even though it's very esoteric, but we do it all the time. We're, we're serving Hashem anyway. So just put in the back of the mind, I'm doing this because I love Hashem. I'm not doing it because I'm forced to. Today, there's no force. There's no coercion. There's no religious coercion. There's no societal pressure. Why am I doing this? Why am I getting up and praying in the morning? And the answer is, I love Hashem. It's not because I have to do it. I'm doing this mitzvah, I'm keeping Shabbat, not because I have to keep Shabbat, because I choose to keep Shabbat. Why do I choose to keep Shabbat? So don't forget, I... I choose to keep Shabbat because I love Hashem. That is the key that we forget sometimes the most important, the crux of the matter is all these mitzvot. That's what. That's why the first paragraph of the Shema is before the second paragraph. Because the second paragraph of the Shema starts, when you do my mitzvot. So before that is love Hashem. I'm doing the mitzvot because I love Hashem. That's how I show my love. I show my love by my commitment. I show my love by my giving. So, so Abraham Avinu could do Love Hashem on all levels, with his money, with his body, with his life. We can't do all three. We can do the first two. With our money, every time you get to that car, you sit, you can see a shiva, you join a shul, you pay to support some kind of charity. I'm loving God with my money. Now, what about loving God with my body? So if a person fasts on Yom Kippur, <laughs> they're really giving a part of their body to Hashem. I'm loving God with my body. If I get up early to do Salichot, I'm loving God with my sleep. I'm loving God with everything I have. So it's very important to have that in mind. I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm giving this shir because it's teaching me as well. This is a very important, this is a very important concept that should be the basis of all the mitzvot that we do. We're doing mitzvot anyway. We're all doing mitzvot. Every time a person does a mitzvah, it doesn't matter what kind of mitzvah. Between man and man, man and God, I'm not doing this for the human being. I'm doing it for Hashem. I love Hashem. I'm helping this person not because I want to help the person. I like the person. I have a relationship with the person. I don't even know the person. But I'm doing it because I love Hashem. So the first thing a person can do, how do we get to that level? And it's, number one is to be grateful. To learn to be grateful for everything. This is something which, again, society is tremendously failing at. We are failing in not building an attitude of gratitude in our children and ourselves first. We have to be grateful and our children need to hear us saying, I'm so grateful to Hashem. And that's something, you know, I'm grateful for because my father would always say, praise be Hashem. And he said it with gusto. He said it with feeling. So I have that background. I wish I could emulate him. I wish I could be at the same level as him. You know, it's so hard to reach these levels of previous generations. And not just when he was by himself, when he was talking with his sisters and, and they're both saying, 
<laughs> it's like a chorus. <laughs> you know, you know, they're telling you the life story, everything he did, Hashem, praise be Hashem, praise be Hashem. How can you not be grateful? How can you not be grateful for you see all the miracles in one's life, all the times a, a person survived and got through somehow, all their troubles and whatever. We have to be grateful. We have to be grateful, learn this attitude of gratitude. And a person's healthy, a person can talk, a person can walk. We have to be so grateful. We have to be so grateful. We say this morning blessings every day, and it should be done with an attitude of gratitude. It's so hard to say those blessings with Kavana again. Why am I saying those blessings? A person should think, why am I saying those blessings? I love Hashem. I love Hashem because I'm so grateful to Hashem. So gratitude. Praise Hashem and thank Him. Where do we see this? We talked about this. David Amenet. Everything King David, everything that happened to me was praising God. Good things, he praised God. Bad things, he praised God. Help, uh, praise God. I'm, I need help, Hashem. I'm praising you. Help me. Help me. Everything is praising God, praising and thanking God. That goes right through Torah literature. That goes right through. That's who we are. We are Yehudim, which comes from the word Yehuda. And why did Leah call him Yehuda? She says, Ata ode el Hashem. Now I will thank Hashem. The word Yehuda comes from the word Ode, which is the thank. Todaraba. Thank you, Hashem. Yehuda, my son, is called thank you. I'm thanking you, Hashem, now. Why? Because Yehuda, Yehuvan, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda is my fourth son. He's my fourth son. I know there's, there's four wives, and they're going to be 12 sons. I got more than my fair share. I thank you, Hashem. We're called Yehudim. Why are we called Yehudim? Because we have this attitude of gratitude built into our DNA. That's what we should have, at least. And we have to work on it. It's there. It's there. It's just gotta, the potential has got to become a flame. We have to have that flame of gratitude to Hashem. And that flame of gratitude to Hashem will lead to the fire of Ahava, of love to Hashem. Because Rav Hashem will work. We're going to work on this uh, the coming weeks. We're going to talk more about it next week. But Rav Hashem... We didn't talk about relationships between human beings. And we have to finish talking about relationships. And God is trying to work on this next 30 days. Is increasing love between us and our human beings around us. Everyone in our lives. And try and focus on loving Hashem every time we do a mitzvah. You've just experienced another Torah class. Brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.